Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We are bombarded with daily making decisions. There are a multitude of them that require us to make a choice, uh, ranging from very easy to sometimes quite complex uh, decisions that need to be made. In the summer of this year, a study was done in London, so about 2,000 in the cohort, and they asked people about their decision-making. And what that study identified was that in any given day, we make about 122 informed decisions. So that's an average. I don't know what it means for those who are not an average person, but for the average person, you make 122 decisions. Having made those 122 decisions, 87% of those individuals then make it, um, change their minds with the choice that they've made. And I don't know whether you've been in that position. I certainly have. Um, I can talk about it from, as a female perspective. You know, I'm into shoes. And I go to buy a pair of boots, and I might decide, oh, I really like that one. And by the time I get to the teal, I've changed my mind. I want to get to another one. And I'm sure we have that experience of making, you know, making decisions. So have you ever been in the position when you needed to make a decision and you were unclear, as I was with buying my boots, as I frequently am in buying uh, any material? And the thing is, we all come face to face at some time with having to make a decision, whether it be an easy one, or a challenging one, it is part of our normal uh, experience of being alive. So, and we see it often in children, you know, I've, you will perhaps get tired of me talking about grandchildren, we've got grandchildren, and I see it with them, I take them out to buy an ice cream, and you know, should it be um, fruit of the forest, should it be pistachio, should it be vanilla? So even at a very young age, children are grappling with the, the idea of making a decision, as simple as it may be. And then we see it in the teen years, deciding what subjects should I choose for my GCSE? You know, what, what, what career am I path am I wanting to go down? And as we go through the uh, older age ranges, it is, what job should I have? Uh, what city should I live in? Where should I reside? Who should I choose to be my friends? You know, what will it mean for me in terms of making a choice about Jesus Christ? And that's the critical question that we all need to ask this morning. What will it mean for me to choose Christ? So this morning uh, as well, when I was preparing, I suddenly recalled that often for us, there are a variety of tools that exist around making choices. And when you look on the market, so I googled decision-making tools, and straight away, my screen was flooded with a plethora of ones that they are. So there may be uh, strength, weakness, opportunity, threats, you know, SWOT analysis to uh, various algorithms around decision-making trees, etc. No, I'm not knocking them because certainly for myself in my professional practice, I've found them really helpful in helping me in making decisions around complex system changes that needed to be made or even indeed professional uh, decisions. So, but as good as they are, these tools, helpful, but as an individual or individuals, you have to make the decision. The final analysis is you have to make a choice. You have to make that decision about what, how we're gonna take a situation forward. 
And so, at times, these responses may be pretty straightforward, but at other times, they may be quite challenging uh, for us. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be looking at, as the passage was read by Curran, we're going to be looking at a situation where Joseph came face to face with a challenging decision that he needed to make. So it directs us uh, to, to, the, to choose Jesus or not. The fulfillment of the prophecy transformed what Mary and Joseph would experience. And it's gone on to be transformative for the rest of mankind. I'll consider three points. The first one is, what was Joseph's decision? Why did Joseph have to decide? And then thirdly, what's in the name? Because throughout the passage, a number of times, we've heard names being mentioned. So, what was Joseph's decision? As we see from earlier, decisions can be difficult to make. They can be challenging. And God's decision to bring Jesus into the world the way in which he did was not only challenging for Mary and Joseph, but for the community in which they lived. It continues to create a challenge for all of us, and we grapple with this um, uh, uh, with the position of, should we accept Jesus? Should we reject him? What will it mean for us if we choose Jesus? How will we be looked on by others if we make that choice? And those are some of the things that Joseph was grappling with in terms of his decision. The passage, as read by Kieran, does not give us significant detail about um, uh, how Joseph grappled with the information about Mary being pregnant. What we do know from the passage is that it says he was a just man and he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. I, and, and also that he wanted to choose to divorce her quietly. So I believe the knowledge of his betrothed being pregnant must have left Joseph feeling anxious, vulnerable, and out of his depth. There would be much speculation about Mary. How did she get pregnant? The passage tells us that she was found to be with child. So who found this out and who knew? It would have been an extremely distressing, agonizing time for Joseph, who knew he was innocent, but could it be possible that his beloved Mary had betrayed him? Verse 20 of uh, Matthew tells us that Joseph considered. So as he became aware of Mary's pregnancy, he stopped and he considered. Now one commentary suggests that the Greek word translated, he considered, has two meanings. One of them is he pondered, he thought long and hard about it. But interestingly, a second meaning is he became angry, that is, he became very upset. Would these not be normal human responses? How would you have responded were you in that position? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, wrote a book titled On Death and Dying. And in this uh, book, she highlights what uh, emotions individuals can experience when they come to the position of recognizing that they're dying. So she was mainly working with um, uh, uh, patients who, who were terminal. And since that time, there's been much work that has gone on to look at what does it mean 
to have to come to terms with loss. And Kubler-Ross identified five key emotional, uh, emotions that you experience when, you are, when you're going through loss. And there's been much work since then that have built on these, but the five significant things that she identified was that when you first become aware of it, you are angry. Secondly, you, um, there is, sorry, firstly there's disbelief, then there's anger, then there is a bargaining, you're trying to you know, work out, could it be possible that it could be something else rather than what I'm having now? And then fourthly, there's acceptance, and finally, depression. So these do not necessarily go in the order of the work, it just says that at any given time, if you are dealing with a loss, you have these experiences. And I'm sure many of us in this room may have had those experiences and we've come to terms when we're, we're experiencing a loss of any description. So Joseph would have had hopes and aspirations about his marriage to Mary and the future they would have together. And now this, utter despondency. His beloved Mary is now pregnant. So thinking long and hard, his anger and his disappointment must have been palpable, must have been. So has this been your experience? It certainly has been mine in dealing with um, a situation of loss. Um, uh, I needed God's help. I needed to weigh up the pros and cons of the decision that I needed to make. I needed wise counsel to help me with my decision. Joseph was likely tossing and turning in his sleep. The pa passage tells us that he considered these things, which to me suggested there were multiple things rolling around in his mind. And you can imagine it, can't you? When you've got a very uh, a problematic situation, you need to come to a decision, they're, they're running around in your mind, particularly for some reason, when you go to sleep. And the passage tells us it was when Joseph was, he was dreaming when uh, the angel appeared to him. No, Piper, an American uh, theologian, he actually suggests that when an angel turns up, our antennas should go up. And of course, Joseph certainly did with this. The Jewish custom at the time, in terms of Joseph and Mary's experience, was that there would be a matchmaking that would take place, which led to their engagement. They were then betrothed to each other and the betrothal was legally binding. And in fact, as you read through historical documents, it actually identifies Dave, uh, Joseph as Mary's husband and, hus and Mary as his wife. They were actually identified as being legally bound as a couple. The betrothal lasted about a year before the marriage ceremony took place and when, when the marriage was consummated. The Bible tells us it was during this period, so during this year, that Mary was found to be pregnant. Mary's situation was an unusual one, a very challenging one. How could she be pregnant? What could have happened? What impact would this news have on them and on their community? Importantly for Joseph, as it tells us, he was a just man and a righteous man. So he knew God's word. He knew the Old Testament well. So he would have been familiar with the laws of Moses. And in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24, it tells us that in a situation that they found themselves in, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, 
then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated the neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So, so from, from the Jewish perspective, from the law of Moses, it was Mary needed to be stoned. She needed to be denounced. And it was this that Joseph wasn't aware of. But it says to us in the scripture that Joseph did not want to follow what the law said. He's had a heart of co compassion. Now, the Torah, which was what they read in the temple, um, you know, did not set out a life-preserving way to get out of this predicament. And certainly, the elders at the gates would not have had a discussion and think, how can we help this couple get out of this situation that they're in? Because the word and, and the law was what they stood by, and the law was clear. A woman in this situation should be denounced, should be shunned by her community, and should be stoned to death. So, stoning was the only option they would have demanded. They also lived in a shame and honor-based society. Joseph was aware of this as he weighed up his decision, but he does not want to put Mary to shame. The only solution he sees is to quietly divorce her. However, as he considers this, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, marrying a pregnant Virgin Mary went against all their cultural and legal norms. One commentary says, Joseph was a human being of remarkable spiritual stature. He possessed the boldness, daring, courage, and strength of character to stand up against his entire community and take Mary as his wife. He did so in spite of forces that no doubt wanted her to her stoned. His vision of justice stayed his hand. In short, he was able to reprocess his anger into grace. And we see this time and time again in the Bible when individuals like us who should have encountered God's wrath actually encounter, uh, experience his forgiveness. By choosing to obediently follow what the angel was saying to marry Mary, Joseph was mirroring what God did for us and what Jesus has, what God did for the Israelites and what Jesus has gone on to do for us. Mary was covered in the shame of being an un unmarried, pregnant woman who would have been shunned and destroyed by her community. But Joseph rose above that because he loved her. And importantly, he was obediently responding to the reminded prophetic truths that the angel had shared with him. So rescuing Mary by marrying her. We too were covered with the same shame of sin and eligible to be shunned by God. But Jesus comes and he rescues us. He saves us and eventually will take us to the ultimate marriage celebration. This is the deepest demonstration of love and faithfulness. We deserve the punishment of death, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. So why did Joseph have to make a decision? Mary had nothing to be ashamed of, but 
how could they convince the leaders and the masses that um, this divine interruption uh, had occurred? There was no way of explaining this unusual occurrence. Surely a baby can only be formed when a man and a woman come together. Science has now taught us uh, the great intricacies of our conception. We now know that the egg from a woman and the sperm from a man come together and brings about conception. 23 chromosomes from the man, 23 from the woman. If Jesus' conception was true as described, it was against all that was understood at that time in terms of how babies were formed. It was a miracle of miracles. Saint Augustine says that miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Let me just repeat that. Miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. So God intervened through the angel and reminds Joseph of what he had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in order for it to be a virgin birth and for God to be with us through Jesus. God coming in the form of a baby whose destiny and purpose was to save his people from their sins. Only a God-man could do that in order to defeat sin. So that was the Jewish understanding of the Holy Spirit. How could Joseph trust what he was hearing? The Holy Spirit, as the Jews understood at the time, taught the prophets what to say. He taught men of God what to do. And throughout ages and generations, he brought God's truth to men. He was now bringing prophesied truth of his divine conception. A son, fully God and fully man. The one person who could tell us what God was like. And in John 49, it says, he who has been familiar with this story. The period of Jesus' birth was a dark time for the Jewish people under Roman rule. They were looking for a leader who could come and over, overthrow Rome and, and hopefully bring them some fresh hope. They were really struggling. However, God's plan was very different. It was not just their external circumstances that needed to change, but their hearts and their minds towards God. So he needed to intervene in their dark hearts uh, to bring about life and bring about newness and to give them fresh hope. The womb is a dark place and the power of the Holy Spirit brought life through the conception of Jesus. Our hearts were darkened towards God but the power of the Holy Spirit brings us life, gives us new hope in Christ. When we have a revelation that Jesus is the one who will save us from our sins. Mary's divine interruption by the Holy Spirit caused controversy. Jesus's, uh, Joseph's decision to marry Mary would have done so too. 
Jesus' act of dying on the cross for us caused controversy and continues to do so. Choosing God's way and following Jesus can be controversial. It does not align necessarily with the way in which the world thinks, with popular thinking, and the media regularly purports that our self-generated success should be our ultimate goal. We are in charge of our own destiny. We create the environment. We should, should be able to mess up and deal with it ourselves. Why do we need help in sorting it out? We have the power to sort it ourselves. But God's plan was different. He knew that we would not always get things right and we would fall short of his glory. He could not tolerate our sin, so he sent Jesus, his son who lived a perfect life to take our place in carrying our sin to the cross. The Holy Spirit still prompts, still divinely interrupts, and still brings revelation that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. Joseph had to make a decision as it was a matter of life and death, or death. Accepting the angel's prompting saved Jesus so he could fulfill his destiny as our saviour. Rejection of the angel's prophetic reminder would result in the stoning to death of Mary. We too have to make a life or death decision. Will we reject Jesus and be destroyed due to our, our sin? Or will we accept it and have the benefits of life eternal? It's only as we accept the Holy Spirit's prompting and have a revelation of Jesus that we experience this renewal. So what's in a name? There have been several international studies looking at what a name, uh, why a name matters. Names signal who we are, where we come from, it gives us meaning. Now, if you're a Jamaican, we have several names. As you know, I have Jackie, but that's not my proper name. And um, so they've got my official ones on my, on my official papers, but everyone calls me Jackie. And um, as I was thinking about this, I suddenly thought, my dad, my dad became a Christian when he was 25, and his official formal names are Charles Albert. And soon after he got saved, he, the church had a church play on, and he got the starring role of Simon Peter. And so my dad's friends, who all knew him from this church, called him Simon. Now, time would not permit my dad had five other names, uh, but I won't, I won't tell you what they are. But uh, suffice to say, they were all names that reflected his characteristic and his experiences that he had had. They're funny, I'll tell you. Um, anyway, um, so moving on from that, uh, names are important to God. In Isaiah 43 verse 1, it tells us he calls us by name because we are his. And the Bible identifies many names and family lines and genealogies. And if you look through the first book of Chronicles, it sets out uh, names in great detail. We see names set out in genealogies because they remind us of God's covenant redemption towards us. One commentary states, 
that genealogies are part of God-breathed scriptures. They help to substantiate historical accuracies, confirm the physical existence of individuals. It's an authentic historical truth. They showed a God involved and interested in the detail of each individual. They show people, what's and all, real histories and real futures. They show God values all people, male, female, Jews, Gentiles. They show that God cares about each of us and details of our lives. We can learn from the narratives of these lives as we see glimpses into what people have experienced. They confirm prophecy. The Messiah was prophesied about, uh, prophesied about in um, Isaiah 11 verse 1. It says, as part of David's line, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The angel greets Joseph and reminds him who he is. He is of the lineage of David. Now Matthew had carefully outlined Joseph's lineage in the first 16 verses of, 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 um, of chapter 1. And so when we get to verse 20 and the, the angel addresses Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, as the reader, we now know that to be true. We now know that he is the 28th in line after it was spoken, prophetically spoken, that David would, um, uh, would, would reign uh, on earth. Well, his throne would reign forever. So Joseph stepping on the scene to be the earthly father of the saviour of the world. Sometimes we need reminding of who we are as we ponder the serious decisions that we need to make. Formed in the image of God, he's our father. The angel further advises Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in keeping with Jewish tradition, as Jesus' earthly father, he's been given the authority, as would have happened, to name him. The name was important as throughout the Old Testament, God had already been signaling to us Jesus' great calling through previous names, descriptions of him. <laughs> Jesus, in, in, in Psalm 103, it says, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Jesus is the Greek form of the Jewish name Joshua. We therefore see the root name of Jesus in Joshua, Moses' successor, the warrior who defeats the enemies of God's people and leads them into the promised land. Further, in Zechariah 3, it takes us to Joshua, the high priest, who is being accused of wearing filthy garments. The angel instructs removal of them. The angel says, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you in pure garments. Jesus is the high priest who has taken our filthy garments. In 1 Peter 2, it says that we are a royal priesthood. So as priests, he has imputed to us his righteousness because he took our sins on the cross. We no longer wear filthy garments of sin. Jesus did and saves his people from their sins. 
The specificity, therefore, of Jesus' name could be no other. He's the warrior who defeated the enemy. He is the righteous high priest who removes our sin and by his grace removes our guilt and imputed to us righteousness. Therefore, the high priest justifies us. So we would have been defeated by our sin, but Jesus fought and won the victory for us. The stains of our sins made us unapproachable to God, but he made a way for us so we could be clean and righteous to approach God. Now let's look very briefly at the name Emmanuel, God with us. Prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, and reminded to Joseph by the angel. Emmanuel further, you remember I talked about earlier about the many names that my dad has? Well, I think he would probably Jamaicans are mirroring what they experience in the Bible, many names. But anyway, it, it gives us a further description of who Jesus is. So what does it mean, Emmanuel, God with us? God is the great creator of the universe who came in humility as a baby to be with us. Through Jesus, we can meet God as he takes away the barrier between us and God, therefore bringing God to us. He's powerful, yet he came in the intimacy of a pregnancy. God wants to be with us. He came humbly as a baby, so we too can come humbly to him. Jesus brings God to us, so when we seek him, we will find him. The intimacy of pregnancy reflects that we too can have an intimate relationship with God. Not a long distance, a distant one, but one with depth. And God welcomes that. So in concluding, for those of you who know Jesus today, what will your response be to the Christmas story? A very familiar story, but one where God asks us today, how will you respond to it? And for those here who do not know Jesus, how will you respond to this big life-changing decision? Will you accept Jesus as the one who comes to save you from your sin, or will you reject it today? Thank you. Thank you.